Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians only has five chapters, so again, much in the New Testament, shorter books can easily be read through in a matter of minutes. Uh, we'll be in 2 Thessalonians tomorrow. Um, there we will, um, it's only, I think, three chapters. So um, so this week, you will finish a book, and then we'll go through a whole nother book um, before I think we're in Jude. So we may actually finish three books uh, this week. Well, let's look at First Thessalonians 5, not a long chapter. Um, he is basically two sections. The first is continuing his discussion about the end times, and then the latter half are final instructions. So he begins here in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as... Uh, labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Uh, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Uh, so I just want to pause there briefly. And, and notice how Johannine this language is. Um, John, outside of Revelation, doesn't talk a whole lot about the end times, though he does. Um, but, but he does like this light-darkness language. Uh, we saw that in John's Gospel. You probably got tired of hearing me say, Logos, life, light, lamb. Uh, and that light language is throughout the whole book. So Nicodemus comes in at night. Jesus is walking on the water as the light, and so on and so forth. Um, and in his epistles, he, he uses this, this imagery. Well, Paul is using it here. He's saying is, is that when the time comes, you need to know that it will come for many like a thief in the night. But it doesn't need to be like that for you because you're not in the night. And, and you're not asleep in the night. You, you, you are awake. You have been awakened, which is a favorite metaphor of, of Paul's. Um, and so for those uh, who are not believers in Christ, who don't have their Bibles open, uh, the end will come like a thief in the night. Uh, but to those of us who are saved, uh, we, um, we, we anticipate and we long for the return of Christ so much so that when it comes, we're not surprised by it. Uh, I think that's a hard lesson for American Christians to learn. I think it's something we will learn as we, we become more of a post-Christian society because we've, we've enjoyed our life in America so much, we've been so safe and secure and rich so much, that, that, that the, the longing for Christ to return uh, hasn't been a top priority for us. Um, but but I, I, do, I do think that that'll change in, in the coming years. He goes on, verse uh, 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet of the hope of uh, salvation. Uh, just, just to notice here that... Um, he, again, he compares those who are lost, those who, who have not embraced Christ, as being sleep and drunk, which happens at night, right? And so when the thief comes, uh, they, they come unexpectedly. And the, uh, the person in a drunken stupor cannot, um, um, they're not aware of it, right? It just, just takes them by surprise. But those who are awake, like us, who are in Christ, who, who live lives of, of being awake, well, we are um, ready uh, for, for when it happens. And notice that verse 8, um, that we're called to be sober-minded. That's very Pauline language. Um, and he says, We have put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, that language should sound familiar to you because it's the language that Paul uses in Ephesians 6. 
uh, for the uh, armor of God. Uh, so, so you got the uh, breastplate of righteousness, and you got the shield of faith, and you you got you know the the feet are are, are, are uh, the gospel, and the sword is the word of God, and stuff stuff like that. The helmet of salvation. Well, um, he uses the, the same sort of imagery here, which which tells us that this was a common imagery that the Christians used. Um, and it's because of the Bible, it's still one that, that we use. The idea is that the spiritual disciplines um, and just growing in the faith in general prepare us for the day that is at hand. So as we grow in faith, as we grow in the gospel, as we grow in righteousness, as we grow in holiness and peace and, and joy and everything, then we are ready for the day that is at hand. Well, I want to move on to, to verse 12. Before we do, actually, let me just say that Paul is talking about the end times of verses 1 through 11, and he, he talks about it not with charts and hands telling you to look for this or look for that, but rather he, as Peter does in, in First and Second Peter, First Peter at least, tell us to, to just be ready. That's the main point. We sometimes lose the point of the end times by trying to uh, match everything up. The old preachers used to say, have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. No, just keep the Bible in, 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 in your hand, and that will be sufficient. Because that's Paul's concern here. Live in light of the end times, in hope of the end times, because what we, what we need is for Christ to return. Verse 12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work be at peace among yourselves. Let me just, a few points here. He is talking about the elders of the church. Um, um, Baptists use the term pastors. Um, um, other traditions use bishops, elders, whatever term you want to use. They're interchangeable in the New Testament. Acts 20 is a great evidence for that. Um, but he says basically, um, um, try to make their lives a lot easier, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I, uh, this may be my, my new favorite passage in the Bible. But but do do, do make pastor and staff and deacon's life easier. And in the way you do that is is we've talked about this in these devotions, you live a life consistent with the gospel. It's as simple as that. Um and then he says, Be at peace among yourselves. So he says that within the church where there's conflict, um, you should seek to make peace. And then if you are at conflict with someone outside the church, you should seek to make peace. Right? This this is this is basic Christianity here. Um, and, and one of the ways that you can um, um, respect those who labor over you is to be at peace with yourselves and with others. Right. Um, he goes on, verse 14, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Well, again, this is just a general uh, admonitions and instructions uh, and exhortations from, from Paul. Um, one of the issues people point out about the Thessalonian letters, and they're very early, as, as we said when we looked at chapter 1, is that there seems to be a problem with laziness in the uh, Thessalonica church. And so we see this here, um, admonish the idle. But then in 2 Thessalonians, we see the often used phrase, those who do not work should not eat. And we'll talk about whenever we, we get there. Well, um, there must have been, this must have been an issue within the Thessalonian church. And this is also where you get the sort of Protestant work ethic idea, in, in that uh, we are called to work, and that work is a gift from God. Um, and that, but you get distortions of that gift, like all gifts. You get workaholism, which is a problem. Uh, it destroys family, destroys lives, whatever. Uh, and you also get laziness, which is the the other uh, extreme of of that that gift. So Proverbs goes out of its way to to speak of a of a sluggard. You know, uh, observe the ants, it says, and uh, work as they do. 
Um, and then says the sluggard uh, says there's a lion in the streets. I'm going to be devoured today. It's one of my favorite proverbs. Um, and uh, um, so, so, so the Bible often exhorts us against laziness uh, in particular. And I would add workaholism. But, uh, but this seems to be a problem within the church. And notice that, that the church is charged to exhort its members to be hard-working citizens. Um, and so we would exhort that too, even during COVID. Uh, let us not take shortcuts, but, but uh, work hard. Um, not just that, uh, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This is why you need a local church. You know, like in the middle of a pandemic. That's why you need a local church that we might encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I think that's almost um, almost the, the same sort of exhortation found in Romans, chapter 14, 15, something like that. Uh, Rejoice always. Notice that is an entire verse. Jesus wept is the shortest verse, not the only verse that is short like that. Rejoice always. In fact, I would encourage you to circle, underline, highlight verse 16 in chapter 5. It's two words. I bet you can memorize it. It'll be harder to memorize the reference than it will be the actual verse. First Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. So, wherever you are, whatever you do, learn to be a person of joy rooted in Christ, not your circumstances. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Hey, while you're memorizing verse 16, why don't you memorize verse 17? Pray without ceasing. Now, monks and others have tried to to, to take that literally. It's not the point. The point is to say, your life be a life consistent with prayer and rejoicing. Do you think maybe those two are related? Much as when you pray for someone, you have a hard time to hate someone, so too when you are praying always, you're in communion with the, the source of joy, and so we live lives consistent with joy. You're casting your burdens onto Christ, you're laying everything down at the foot of the cross, and, and so, so you're free of all that, and so you're, you're free then to really be a person of joy. Do not confuse joy with happiness. You can be a person of joy amidst sorrow and mourning and tears. Doesn't mean that you have to be happy all the time. Does mean you can be a person of joy. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Again, pause there. What if we just take these uh, verses, two and a half verses, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. Which is possible because if God is sovereign over the universe, providential over our lives, and savior of our souls, surely we can find reason to be thankful. Um, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So in chapter three, 2 or 3, he says the will of God is your sanctification. Now he says more specifically the will of God is rejoice, pray, and be thankful. Rejoice, pray, be thankful. That's the will of God. Should I go to that college? I don't know. Rejoice, pray, be thankful. Learn and cultivate those habits. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Some simple uh, admonitions as we close out. First Thessalonians, a great book about persevering through suffering and living a life consistent with holiness. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow. Lord willing, we'll look at Second Thessalonians chapter 1. See you then.